0: It's... الحمد لله، الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا، وما كنا لنحتذى لولا انهدان الله، وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله، وحده لا شريك له، له الحمد، وله الملك. يحي ويُميت بيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن محمدًا عبد الله ورسوله وصفيه وخليله أرسله الله للناس نذيرا وبشيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فقد رشد، ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا. أسيكم ونفسي أولا بتقوى الله وطاعته، وأحذركم من عصيانه ومخالفة أمره. أما بعد. فإن خير الحديث كتاب الله وأحسن الهدي هدي محمد وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار يقول الله عز وجل وهو أصدق القائلين في كتابه الكريم ومن آياته أن خلقكم من طراب ثم إذا أنتم بشر تنتشرون ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة (laughs) inna fee thalika la aayatin li qawmi yata fakkaroon wa min aayatihi as-samawati wal-ard wa akhtilafu al-sinatikum wa alwanikum inna fee thalika la aayatin lil'alimeen Brothers Brothers and sisters, committed Muslims our topic today is about democracy and racism on the ordinary this topic deserves a lengthier and perhaps a more in-depth presentation but because of the weather today we'll try to keep it as brief as possible and try to limit it to a few important points and we hope that if any of the points are important enough to register in your minds for further research that you go home and you try to expand on what was presented here today uh, with your own work. Now before we get into the rather tortured relationship between democracy and racism or any other kind of group solidarity that looks at itself as the in-group and everybody else as the other, before we get into that relationship let us review in our own minds how Islam, Allah, the Quran and Allah's Prophet all categorically reject racism or any other kind of exclusivism and so we've quoted these ayat And they happen to be from Surah Al-Rum, Ayat 20 through 22. And I'll just translate the first of these three Ayat. But again, I hope that you go back home and review these for yourself. And among his illustrations of power and capacity is that he created you out of dirt and then you became as human beings spreading out far and wide now the main one of the things one of the important things that can be drawn out of these ayat is that all human beings are made of the same stuff the stuff inside certain human beings is not better than the stuff inside other human beings Ultimately, we all come from the same father, and that father was created from dirt. And if you read the rest of these ayat that were quoted, you will notice that the rest of the universe contains the same elements of creation that are inside of the human being with all the infinite forms of variety that you see in the rest of the universe. And so in that universe, you'll see that no two leaves are the same. No two stars, no two galaxies are exactly the same. But this does not mean that because none of them are the same, that the stuff inside of one leaf makes another leaf inferior to the to the primary one or that one galaxy is better than another galaxy what all of this infinite variety points to is the fact of Allah's power and capacity in assembling this kind of a creation and that's what it ought to register in our minds Not that one aspect of one part of the creation is better than another aspect of another part of the creation. And if such value judgments had to be made, then leave those value judgments to the Creator Himself. And so the larger conclusion that can be drawn as it informs our subject today is that because human beings are all made of the same stuff and because their creator is one and because their common father is one that all of those human beings are equal and according to these ayat the only thing that distinguishes one human being from another is his consciousness of this power and capacity of Allah's a concept that we know as taqwa. For in fact, in another ayah, Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhannas, inna khalaqnaakum min dhakarin wa untha, wajaalnaakum shurooban wa qabaila lita'arafu. Inna akramakum inda Allahi atqakum. O people, Allah has created you from a male and a female. And He created you into differentiated peoples and corresponding peoples. So that you may have the desire to reach out and come to a common understanding amongst each other. And indeed the best amongst you is the one who is most conscious, the most aware of Allah's power prerogative in the human affair. And then there are certain hadiths that confirm and corroborate this equality of human beings one to another. And one of these hadiths, and uh, this occurred, uh, this happened to be said by the Prophet, this was said by him in his final message to humanity. Which means that in this final message that he was outlining certain points in outline form that the Muslims going forward ought to be understanding as the most important points in their deen. And so one of those points is the following hadith. لا فضل لعربي على la ولا لعجمي ala عربي وَلَا لي أبيض عَلَىٰ أَسْوَدٍ وَلَا لِأَسْوَدَ عَلَىٰ أبيض، إِلَّا بِالتَّقْوَىٰ النَّاسُ مِنْ, من آدَمٍ وَآدَم مِنْ تُرَابٍ Now translating this it means again these are the words of the Prophet in one of the bullet points that he made in his final message to humanity that there is no preference of an Arab over a non-Arab. And there is no preference of a non-Arab over an Arab. And there is no preference of a white man over a black man. And there is no preference of a black man over a white man, except in the area of taqwa. Mankind is from Adam, and Adam was from dirt. Now this hadith of the Prophet, Sallallahu alaihi wasallam confirms and corroborates these ayat in the Quran. Another hadith of the Prophet, on another occasion, he said, "ليس منا من دعا إلى wa وليس منا من قاتل." على العصبيه وليس منا من من مات على العصبيه وقيل ما العصبيه يا رسول الله قال ان تعين قومك على ظلم again translating Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said not from us Is he who calls to asabiyyah and not from us, is he who fights for asabiyyah and not from us, is he who dies for asabiyyah And so one of his companions around asked, What is this asabiyyah, O Messenger of Allah? To which Allah's Messenger responded, that you aid your own, that you help your own, in matters of injustice, oppression, and tyranny. And so we see when it comes to major issues such as this, like the rejection of racism and exclusivism, that this is not a matter of that is left up to the majority vote of the people. This is a matter that has been legislated and commanded from upon high. And it is not something that human beings, despite all of their knowledge and all of their experience, have the right and the license to reverse. In fact, there is no precedent in the history of Revelation that allows human beings whether through a majority or through a clever minority to reverse what is moral and what is right. And in this regard, Allah's Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam said I'm sorry, in in this regard Allah Himself said in another ayah in the Quran ما كان لمؤمن ولا مُؤْمِنَةٍ اذا قضى الله ورسوله امرا ان يكون لهم الخيره من امرهم ومن يعص الله ورسوله فقد ضل ضلالا فقد ضل ضلالا مبينا it is not up to a muslim male or female that if allah and his messenger have decreed something that they thereby after that have a ch- have any other choice in the matter that is informed from their own point of view. And whoever rebels against Allah and His Prophet, then indeed they have gone on a most evident misdirection. And so now we come to the subject at hand. Which is the connection between democracy and racism. Or in a more general sense, the connection between democracy and asabiyya. We don't have time to go into the tortured relationship between how democracy throughout its history has endorsed and institutionalized racism. We need to look no farther than the world that we live in right now today. For in that world, this system of democracy is presented with an existential crisis of its own making. And by existential, we mean something related to existence. And by crisis, we mean a threat. And so when we say an existential crisis, we say that we mean that there is a threat posed to the existence of democracy by seeds that are sown right within the concept. In the world that we live in today, all democracies must ask themselves the question that what if the majority decides to oppress the minority? Does democracy have an answer for that? What if those who are in power decide to persecute those who have less power or no power? Or perhaps put in another way, does a system that is based upon the majority vote and the majority rule, can it reverse a wrong, especially when that majority decided that it is going to manage its own behavior without reference to a standard of right and wrong? And so they are in a, so so the democratic system as it is employed around the world is in an existential crisis for they have no answer to the question and to the policies of the majority oppressing the minority and let me give you three examples in this regard India happens to claim to be the largest democracy in the world And yet they just passed a citizenship law. And no one can dispute that this is a democratically enacted law. For it was discussed in a deliberative assembly, a duly constituted deliberative assembly, an assembly of the people. So they just passed a citizenship law that basically excludes Muslims. In an eastern province of that country, over one million Muslims who have lived there since before partition are going to have to prove that they are citizens of that country. And if they were fair in the application of this citizenship law, then in the area of occupied and colonised Kashmir, the Hindus ought to be proving that they are citizens that they are citizens of that territory. But because this citizenship law declares the national identity of the country to be Hinduism, no Hindu will have to prove that he is a citizen of that country. Only certain minorities of which the key minority being Muslims will have to make that proof or will have to give a proof that they are citizens. The state of Israel considers itself to be the only democracy in the Middle East. And yet they too passed a nation law which describes their nationhood as only Jewish. And so even the indigenous inhabitants of the Holy Land, which happens to be the Palestinians, the majority of whom are Muslims. will not be admitted onto their own land, and will be expelled for no other reason than the fact that they are not Jews. And now, the so-called first democracy in the world, the United States we know that all of the legislation that has come down in the past two or three years that has turned into policy and that has turned into law has gone through the democratic process key among which in, insofar as this particular administration in the White House is concerned right now, is a so-called Muslim ban. And the gradual escalation of tensions with the Muslim world to such an extent that the more belligerent elements in the country are entertaining another war against innocent people in the Muslim East. The authorization to use military force, which was enacted in 2002, which was picked up by this administration, is once again singling out some of the poorest people in the world, the vast majority of whom happen to be Muslims. And once again, I am saying that the vast majority of these policies, if not all of them, went through the democratic process. And so it is, po- and so we can conclude that it is possible within this particular system, the democratic system, for the majority to oppress the minority and to do it legally. And to do it institutionally. And the last thing that needs to be said on this subject at this time is that in our minds, it ought to be no accident. It ought to be no accident that the object of this oppression and this humiliation are Muslims. The object of the suppression by the majority in India is Muslims. The object of the oppression by those who have power in Israel is Muslims. And the object, the public face of oppression by the so-called most powerful country on earth and in history, the object of that oppression and suppression is once again Muslims. And this ought to come as no surprise to us. Because we, quoting these ayat, have a totally different world view. We don't entertain an an institutional, a political and economic system that favors exclusivism. We have a different way of looking at the world and its people. And when I talk about Islam being an inclusivist system, where all people are honored with a certain dignity, the dignity that was given to them by their Creator, which is confirmed in these ayat, and which is confirmed in His law that Muslims are required to follow. It is the clash of these two worldviews that has led to the exposure of a system that was supposed to be spread all around the world for the benefit of humanity. And it were it not for the Muslims feeling some aspect of the important contribution that they make to humanity and to the world, that system would not have been exposed today. <laughs> alhamdulillah assalatu was salamu ala rasulillah we need to say a little bit more about this assassination that took place of an Islamic Major General uh, our brother and our leader Qasim Suleimani may Allah welcome him uh, in his company uh, in peace and tranquility and felicity all of you have seen that more and more information is trickling out and every time a new bit of information comes out the murderers have to tell 100 lies to cover a previous lie and you can expect that in the coming months thousands upon thousands of more lies are going to be told One of the key architects of resistance to humanity's enslavement, to the rule of man, to the laws of man. One of the key architects of that resistance was this Islamic Major General. And so it became important for this particular power structure to take him out. And it's important for them, if we are cognizant of what's going on in the world, to take out his successors. But there are bits and pieces of information that don't make it to the pages of this so-called free media. And because we have an independent forum here on the street, we have in a sense the luxury to be able to expose this information for common public consumption. And one of the things that didn't make it into this so-called free media is the speech that the outgoing Iraqi Prime Minister made to the Iraqi Parliament two days after the assassination took place. Now you would expect that such a major speech which ultimately led to the request for the expulsion of U.S. military forces in that country, you would expect that speech to be translated and exposed in the common media but at least this particular speaker has not seen a translation of that very short speech in this so-called free media and it bears for us to be informed about what he said for he got into some of the details that led to the build up that ultimately resulted in the assassination and by the way there were forces at play in this country and other countries to prevent him from saying what he said to his parliament nonetheless the Iraqi prime minister in talking to his people gave a bit of a timeline and he said that the president of this country, the current occupant of the White House called him weeks before the assassination took place and told him that the United States is intending to halt development on the infrastructure projects that this country itself destroyed and the reconstruction of the electricity grid unless the Iraqi people fork over 50% of the oil revenues to the United States. And so the Iraqi Prime Minister refused. So we're not giving you 50% of our oil revenues so that you can rebuild that portion of our country that you destroyed. And so the Iraqi Prime Minister used this as an opportunity to go to China. And he approached the Chinese to come to to Iraq and pick up where the U.S. had left off. Basically to complete the projects that the U.S. refused to complete without getting 50% of the oil revenues. And of course, the currency of the deal with the Chinese was oil. And you have to understand that when your currency is oil and not petrodollars, that affects some powerful people in the world. Most of whom are sitting in armchairs right here in Washington. And so he conducted this deal with the Chinese. And when the deal itself was concluded, then he received another call from the president, from the present occupant of the White House. And he was told, the Iraqi Prime Minister was told by the U.S. President to reject the Chinese deal where he would unleash massive demonstrations inside the country that would lead to the end of the term of that Prime Minister. And the Iraqi Prime Minister would not be browbeaten and so he refused He said, still, we're not giving you 50% of our oil revenues. And so those demonstrations took place not only inside of Iraq, but in Lebanon and inside Uh, the Islamic Republic. And so when those demonstrations started to hit sort of a peak, the Iraqi Prime Minister received another call from the occupant of the White House. And he asked him then, do you agree now to comply? And the Iraqi Prime Minister said no. So then the occupant of the White House said, again threatening him, that we will employ marine snipers, snipers from the Marines, from the US Marines, to target protesters and security personnel inside your country. And at that point, the prime minister resigned. Recall that he resigned before the assassination took place. He resigned, and after he resigned, or during this whole process, you might remember that protests, the pro- that protesters, and security personnel were gunned down in the street, and because that particular country and the majority of Muslims around the world don't have access to the media, those targeted killings were blamed on the Iraqi government and on the Iranian government and on the Lebanese government. And they were presented to the rest of the world as governments killing their own people. And this is the effect that obviously the, the occupant of the White House wanted that the world would now begin to apply pressure on them in order to accept this deal of giving fifty percent of their oil revenues to the United States and so after he had resigned and even this tactic did not work he called up who would now be the ex-prime minister of Iraq and he told him. And he threatened him once again. Oh no, let me back up a a little bit. That after these targeted killings and assassinations started taking place of protesters and security personnel inside of Iraq, the Minister of Defense of Iraq came out and he said that there is a third party involved in these targeted killings that are going on inside our country. And at that point, this the ex-prime minister of Iraq because he had resigned received a call from President Trump in the White House and he told him that if you don't stop talking about these third parties that some of these snipers may target you and the Minister of Defense And at this point, instead of targeting the Minister of Defense and the ex-Prime Minister, the target became Qasem Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis. Now, if you want to talk about impeachable offenses, threatening to kill the Prime Minister of another country is probably a crime against humanity. It can't be considered a war crime because this country hasn't officially declared, declared war on Iraq. But it's probably a crime against humanity. And you might ask yourself, okay, the, the conversation with, regard, with, with the Ukrainian president was recorded. Do you think that you're going to find a recorded conversation between Trump and the Iraqi Prime Minister where the US President is threatening to kill? the Iraqi Prime Minister? Where's an audio record of this conversation? Don't expect to find it anywhere. All they're going to say is, well, it's his word against, you know, President Trump's word. Why do we need to know these details? The reason that we need to know these details is because there are people who are projecting themselves people in power they are projecting themselves as the citadels of freedom and the rule of law in the world and yet behind the scenes they are the biggest lawbreakers they are the murderers and they are the oppressors. And because this kind of news doesn't reach our ears and perhaps because we are not savvy enough to search for indictable offenses against murderers which we ought to be doing by virtue of the ayat that we are reading in the Qur'an This ought to be a responsibility of ours, that it ought not to be aired on a street where there are only a handful of listeners. It ought to be aired inside the masajid, where there are thousands of listeners who ought to be motivated to do their duty out in the street and in their countries. And in their homes And in their neighborhoods Allahumma arina alhaqq haqqan warzukna atiba'ah Wa arina al batilan warzukna ajtinaabah Allahumma aghfir lil mu'minina wal mu'minat Al ahya'i minhum wal amwat Innaka qareebun sami'un mujibu da'awat Allahumma rabbana atina fi dunya hasana Wa fil akhirati hasana وقنا عذاب النار اللهم احبب الينا الشهاده وزينها في قلوبنا اللهم احبب الينا الشهاده وزينها في قلوبنا اللهم احبب الينا الشهاده وزينها في قلوبنا ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر ان الانسان لفي خسر الا الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواسوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم عباد الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله اكبر الله اكبر لا اله الا الله اشهد ان محمدا رسول الله من بعد الصلاه بعد القيام